أعوذ بالله من الشيطان الرجيم بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم ألهاكم التكاثر حتى زرتم المقابر كلا سوف تعلمون ثم كلا سوف تعلمون كلا لو تعلمون علم اليقين لترون الجحيم ثم لترونها عين اليقين ثم لتسألن يومئذ عن النعيم so, السلام عليكم ورحمة الله وبركاته uh, Nice to have you back uh, Today we are on our 11th lesson in the series of uh, the sciences of the Quran And uh, as I said there will be some cases where things might be a bit more Sounding a bit more complicated and uh, some things will obviously seem easier but the idea is that inshallah this will give us a very rounded view of what the quran is all about inshallah and what people have done with the quran and how it's benefited uh, multiple people so today we move on after discussing the two types of tafsirs that we've been discussing so far one was those that are the i would i would say the transmitted tafsirs and the second one were the rational tafsirs so the transmitted tafsirs and then the bulk which are the rational tafsirs so the second category, the rational tafsirs, that uh, those form the bulk of any tafsir that you're going to find. Today we move on to two other types of tafsir, uh, or commentary, or elucidation as you call it as well. Um, the first of these is called at-tafsir al-ishari. And number four, uh, the second one that we'll be discussing today will be at-tafsir al-fiqhi. So these will be two different types. The first one that we discuss, inshallah, is at-tafsir al-ishari. Now what that is, is it's the allegorical meaning of the Qur'an. Now allegorical, I mean, I know that's a bit of a complex word. We don't generally use that every day. Um, a symbolic tafsir of the Qur'an. Um, some might, someone might call it the mysterious tafsir in discussing some of the meanings that are not apparently clear from the words when you read them, right? But some of the indications that it could refer to other meanings that could be provided by that. So essentially an interpretation of some of the hidden meanings. Right now, that sounds kind of interesting, doesn't it? Right, hidden meanings. What's going on here, right? So, for example, uh, if we read أعوذ بالله من الشيطان الرجيم بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم والنجم إذا هوى ما ضل صاحبكم وما غوى وما ينطق عن الهوى إن هو إلا وحي يوحى علمه شديد القوى ذو مرة فاستوى وهو بالأفق الأعلى ثم دنا فتدلى فكان قاب قوسين أو أدنى أن 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 Onwards, this is Surah Al-Najm. Now, Surah Al-Najm has uh, is one of those surahs where clearly there's a there's a meaning there of the words. There's an apparent meaning what the words mean, and they're telling us a story about the Prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam going up uh, to the heavens and you know meeting with Jibril alayhi salam, accompanying Jibril alayhi salam, meeting with Allah subhanahu wa taala. Now, there, for example, there's a there's a lot of additional meanings that those words can provide, additional ideas, additional meanings that those words can provide. So that's what you call a tafsir al-ishari. Ishara, for those who understand usul fiqh, it comes from the concept of isharatun nas. That one is you have a text that says, 
um, he is a lion, right? Well, that's actually more metaphor. When you say somebody's a lion, what you really mean by that is that they are brave, right? That they are brave. So you're using one word, but you're intending another. That's kind of called metaphor. There is also something, for example, um, when Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says in the Quran, وَلَا تَقُلْ لَهُمَا أُفٍ Don't even say uff to them if your parents are there in old age with you. Don't even say uff to them. Now that obviously indicates, right? That obviously indicates that if you can't say uff to them, you wouldn't be able to say a bad word for, to them. Because a bad word is even worse than saying uff. So it indicates towards these additional ideas that if you were to take this literally like don't even say uff then that means obviously striking them saying some bad word to them is even worse so that should be prohibited as well so that's what the quran does it mentions sometimes the quran mentions like one extreme idea or one simple idea so that even worse ideas would be incorporated and and uh, included in there by default because any sensible person would think uh, no 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 sensible person would say oh you're not allowed to say uff to your parents but you can beat them up like the, the Quran allows that because the Quran is only saying don't say uff. I mean, no sensible person is going to say that. Obviously, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is um, saying it in this way, which takes into consideration the way we think and hear words and the way we understand them. So, tafsir ishari is that opens up those additional meanings in many of these cases. It's talking about opening up some of these additional meanings and it's really interesting sometimes, okay? It's really interesting sometimes. However, this can very easily get out of hand. You can imagine that if somebody's going to say, oh, I think it also means this, I'm going to read between the lines. Because, you know, like with any story, you're reading Shakespeare or any other story, one is what the apparent wording is saying to you, the first message. However, beyond that, there's going to be, um, there's going to be like, I think he's also trying to say this by this. Uh, he's using this word, so he's indicating this and so on. Right? If you read between the lines, there's some additional meanings that come out as well. All right? That is what Tafsir al-Ishari is. Now you can see that that can really get out of hand for some people. Uh, and it has in the past. It has in the past. In fact, there was a group called the Baltinites, the Baltinese, the Baltiniya. Now the word Baltin, Baltin means inner, uh, esoterical, meaning something which is not outward, but something that is inward. So their idea was that everybody else the whole muslim world and they were there around the time of the seljuks right who were the ahlus sunnah wal jamaa right so they uh, used to say that you guys the majority of the muslims around the world they all like don't know what they're talking about because uh, they just go with the apparent meaning you need to go with the inner meaning so for example uh, you could somebody could say that allah says aqimus salat atuz zakah uh, the wording in the Quran is very clear that give uh, perform salat and give zakat they're saying that yes that's the apparent meaning but for those who are very special who really get to understand the esoteric meaning the uh, underlying meaning then salat and zakat is not necessary but this actually means something else now what does it mean well you have to come into our cult first right you have to rise up the ranks and then you'll be told these meanings now you can see how much abuse that's going to create where you would basically where Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is telling you to pray you'll say oh that's not really what it means it means oh just saying a few good things because prayer can also mean because the word salat in Arabic can mean so many different things right it doesn't mean just uh, salli alayhim can also mean making a dua 
So it's, oh, it's just a dua. You don't have to actually physically pray. So very, very easily, very quickly, this can get out of hand. And then who's to govern that? You know, who's going to regulate what internal meaning? Because the internal meanings are not regulated, right? So that's why um, the definition of a tafsili shari first, I'll tell you, which uh, the scholars have done to keep it very exclusive and specific and protected. It's تأويل آيات القرآن الكريم على معنى غير ما وعلى معنى غير ما يظهر منها بمقتضى إشارات خفية تظهر لأرباب السلوك ويمكن التطبيق بينهما وبين الظواهر المرادة. That's a long definition. Okay, what that means is to interpret the verses of the benevolent Quran according to a meaning that is not clear thereof, meaning not, a, not uh, to give an interpretation that's beyond the clear meaning that you generally see, but based on the demands of subtle indicators within those words that become clear to the people of the path, that become the people uh, that, that, that are there clear to the people of the, they see those indications, they say that this also means this. Arbab suluk refers to the path of spirituality, the people who are subtly looking into these things and their connection with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And the last part of it says, and it is possible to corroborate that between the, uh, corroborate that internal meaning with the external apparent meaning. That is the most important. That is the most important thing. So, if somebody comes up, because I guess, again, anybody can open up the Quran or any text for that matter and say, oh, I speculate that I think it means this, something totally off, like saying Pharaoh means the, you know, the soul, all right? And um, going to the Pharaoh means, the uh, uh, Musa is being told, go and, you know, uh, make an effort against your own soul. You know, that's really far-fetched. So the important condition here is that any tafsir ishari, when somebody wants to attempt that, is that it must follow this definition and there must be a corroboration between what the apparent wording is saying and what the internal word, you know, what the other meaning you think it's trying to uh, also give you. So that's very important. The reason is that the Quran is, Allah says, Inna anzalnahu Quranan Arabiyan. We have revealed this Quran in an Arabic language, right? This is an Arabic Quran. That is the original Quran. A translation can never be the Quran. It's an interpretation. It's a very close interpretation. Even a translation is actually a commentary, right? Which we'll look at later when we talk about translations, inshallah. So that's why the Quran is only in Arabic. That is the Quran. Anything else is not a Quran. Yes, if we've got a translation of the Quran, we treat it with respect, right? As though it is the Quran itself and so on. Even books with commentaries, we treat with respect and so on. But the main thing is that the real Quran is Arabic Quran. So that means that Arabic language in there is very important. So this external, uh, external expanded, um, you can say, indicative, allegorical meaning that you're trying to say it also has, uh, it needs to corroborate it needs to have indications in here and it needs to gel together also the other thing what's very important is that it has to fit the whole islamic ethos it can't go against another verse of the quran like you're trying to say this verse means also this but it goes against another verse of the quran that means it's wrong 
because the Quran does not contradict one another. Its parts don't contradict one another. Likewise, it cannot go against Hadith either. It can't go against Islam. You can't come up with some radical heterodox ideas using this. That's why the ulama are very particular about this. And the idea of this is that this is not something new. This has been happening since the time of the Sahaba. The Sahaba, many of the companions also did, or some of the companions also did this kind of tafsir. For example, I'll give you a very uh, interesting incident that took place. Imam Bukhari, rahimahullah, has transmitted from Abdullah ibn Abbas, radiyallahu anhu, right? So he's the mufassir of the Quran. It says that uh, Abdullah ibn Abbas, radiyallahu anhu, says that Umar, radiyallahu anhu, used to let me, now listen to this story, Umar radiallahu anhu, he was a, remember, um, Abdullah ibn Abbas was a very young Sahabi when the Prophet passed away. He was like a teenager, he was very young. But mashallah, he had a voracious appetite to learn. So he would pick up everything and he became one of the foremost, the foremost scholar of the Quran. So he was younger than all of the other great, uh, bigger Sahaba, the older Sahaba during Umar radiallahu anhu's time. Right? Do you remember that? So Umar radiallahu anhu used to actually bring in Abdullah ibn Abbas anhu to join his gathering with the old, older Sahaba, the Ashiyakh of Badr in fact, the big sheikhs, the, 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 those who had taken part in the battle of Badr, these were the older people, right, and the really respectable ones. Uh, Abdullah ibn Abbas was there as well. Some of them, the older folk, they're like, why is this young man, or why is this younger person coming along with us, right? We've got children his age. Our children... Um, our, our, our children are his age. Why are you letting him sit with us? So Umar radiallahu anhu says, um, you know his background. I mean, you know, innahu min haythu alim. Do you know what his background is? I mean, that's why. But one day, he told Abdullah ibn, Umar, uh, Abdullah ibn Abbas to come along. And I knew that he, the, the reason he's telling me to come along on that particular day is that he wants to demonstrate to them the reason why he lets me come. Okay. So Umar asked the question to everybody, what do you people think regarding the verse? What do you think of that? What does it mean? What's the commentary of it? Now the wording is quite clear. It means when the assistance of Allah and the victory comes. And you see people entering into Islam in droves. This was after the conquest of Mecca. So Allah's victory had come. And now all of those people who were on the fence started entering into Islam. So then Allah says, So now you glorify the name of your Lord. Bihamdi uh, Rabbik. Sorry. And seek uh, forgiveness. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is most forgiving. So uh, when he asked everybody that, they all responded. They said that, oh, we've been told to praise Allah and we've been told to seek his forgiveness because we have been assisted by Allah and he's given us a victory. That's why. Because that's what the wording says. That's exactly that. When this happens and people enter into Islam, now make sure that you seek forgiveness and you praise him. That's exactly what the apparent wording says. So some of them gave that interpretation, the apparent interpretation. Others, they remained quiet. They didn't say anything. Right? Maybe they understood that there was another meaning here, but they couldn't work it out. So then Umar turned to me, Abdullah ibn Abbas says, and he says, Is that what it is? Is that what you say, Ibn Abbas? So he said, No. 
So what do you say then? If, so I said, uh, this is actually referring, right? This is actually referring to the demise of the Prophet ﷺ that he's been told about in here. So while the apparent wording is saying that you do this and you do that, but really what it means is that the Prophet ﷺ is being told through here that you're soon going to die, so now you make a stifar and prepare for your death, right? Because now the time has come, you know, the victory has come and everything, and you're, um, now you need to do فَسَبِّحْ بِحَمْدِ رَبِّكَ وَاسْتَغْفِرْ So Umar says, that's exactly what I know as well. That's exactly the meaning that I understand from this as well. That was a tafsir al-ishari. That's, as you know, the wording has nothing to do with the death of the Prophet ﷺ. Right, the the the, word, the wording of the uh, of the surah is simple. When the again now uh, you you can try to connect this, you'll see that when the victory of Allah and uh, the assistance of Allah comes, and um, and you see people entering into Islam, you know, in large group after group, then um, you seek forgive uh, uh, praise your Lord and and seek forgiveness from Him. Uh, praise your Lord, you know, glorify Him with your, with His praise and seek His forgiveness because He is the forgiving one. That is a message to the Prophet ﷺ, which the Prophet ﷺ understood clearly. I think Abu Bakr also understood it, right? Once when the Prophet ﷺ mentioned something on the mimbar, but not everybody got it. So that's what you call tafsir al-ishari. So it opens up to some people. Now, is there a connection between the two? Yes, there is. So that's why it's an acceptable one. It doesn't go against anything. For somebody to claim that that's what they think it means, as Abdullah ibn Abbas and Umar did, that's fine. Alhamdulillah. You know? Maybe you're reading the Quran sometimes with translation and you think, oh, this can also mean this. This is the impression I'm also getting, right? This is what would happen, you know, for those of you who, uh, who read the Quran with meaning, th there's sometimes, I mean, our brains are amazing things that Allah has made. There's going to be other ideas that will come from there, right? And as long as they're sound, we can say it's fine, right? Nobody has to agree with you on it. But if they benefit you and they don't go against the Quran Sunnah and you go and ask an alim, and he says, yeah, it sounds fine, then that would be fine. That's why it's very important to restrict this practice though, because as I said, there's a lot of people who will want to misuse this as they have in the past, like the Batinites did. Alhamdulillah, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala dealt with them. Uh, again, there's the conditions, uh, the, the conditions from here is that whatever you're trying to say, it means that needs to be corroborated it needs to be within the framework and the spirit of Islam. It should not go against any other aspect of Islam and so on. And it must gel with the meaning and all the rest of it. It shouldn't go against, it shouldn't be irrational ideas as well. Like some crazy idea, somebody saying, I can see from the Quran when the world is going to end. You know, it's telling me it's going to end in 2024. And, you know, we've had those kind of cases before where people have said it's gonna, this is going to happen and that's going to happen and then actually nothing happened during those years. So those are generally all major claims. Now, what's very important here is that anybody who, uh, any of the ulama and anybody who has these kind of tafsirs, um, they can never say, they can never say that the apparent meaning is never intended. To say that, oh, that's not intended the physical, you know, exactly what happened, the conquest of Makkah and then people enter into Islam, that no, that's not what is intended. It's only, it only means that the Prophet ﷺ is going to pass away. Nobody says that. They all agree, that those who do this properly, they all agree that the apparent meaning is what's intended. But this is an additional meaning. So they always add this as a subordinate additional meaning. Never the primary meaning to say the apparent meaning is not primary. The apparent meaning is primary, that's the main meaning, 
and this other is just some additional uh, points that you're getting from there. Um, I can give you examples of how they've tried to, for example, wal adiyati dabha, fal muriyati qadha, fal mughirati subha, fa atharna bihi naqa, fa wasatna bihi jama. That's referring to horses and how they attack in the morning. Allah Subhanahu wa Taala is taking an oath by them. Now, there's some who've tried to miss. Uh, you know, read that and say, no, this is actually referring to the wind and so on. I'm not going to go through the examples. I mean, it will take longer. So what I want to mention to you now is um, people have done some really crazy stuff regarding this, but I'm going to mention to you just a few sources of Tafsir, uh, tafsir al-Ishari, a few sources, few famous ones, right? They're published. There's published ones and some are really, really interesting. So in our Tafsir course that we run, the, what we call the uh, the tafsir, uh, advanced tafsir program at Whitefield Institute. We actually go through about 30 to 35 tafsirs a year, and some of them are tafsir lishari. You know, we've been through, I think it's Koshayri's and uh, Ibn Ajiba's. So, anyway, I'm going to mention to you just two, right? Just some very briefly, two or three very briefly. First one is uh, this is probably one of the most important one is Tafsir al Quran al Karim of Tustari. This Tustari's tafsir, it's just called Tafsir al Quran al Azim, right? It's just called Tafsir al-Qur'an al-Qur'an al-Azim, Tafsir, the commentary of the mighty Qur'an, the, the majestic Qur'an. Uh, this is Abu Muhammad Sahal ibn, uh, Sahal ibn Abdullah ibn Yunus al-Tustari. He's one of the most famous ascetics of the past. His name is mentioned with Junaid al-Baghdadi. Pretty much everybody agrees on his lofty status and you know his piety and everything like that. He was born in a place called Tustar right in 200 Hijri. It was one of the major ulama of the time and one of the major Arifin Gnostics of the time. And, uh, you know, f uh, uh, really, really a lot of karamat he had and everything like that. And then he stayed in Basra. He moved to Basra and that's where he died in 273. So he was 73 years old when he died. His, uh, the tafsir that is attributed to him is only in one volume. It seems like it's kind of like a selection from maybe what he had written and it it's it's like what has been somebody has taken it from what he used to comment and his commentary on the Quran and it's quite interesting uh, most of it is actually to do with purification right it's to do with tazkiyatun nufus uh, purifying the heart purifying the soul and uh, inculcating the fadail and virtues so he 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 does a lot of that tafsir from the Quran and saying that this also means you should do this and this also means you should do this for example, you know, there's a verse in Surah Al-Safat, verse 107, which is discussing Ibrahim alayhi salam's uh, uh, attempt at sacrificing his son as he had been ordered. You know, you hear the story on Eid al-Adha each year, generally. We then ransomed him f uh, with a major sacrifice. So we gave him a ram instead of Ismail alayhi salam. So we know the story. I mean, I don't need to repeat the story. But what he says there is that what you also understand from this is that the objective of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala telling Ibrahim salam to do this was to release from him and remove from him the love of anything else but Allah. So even his own child, people love their children, right? But you must love Allah more. So this was Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala wanted to test Ibrahim salam and purify, purify him to even a higher status. So the objective of this was actually to take him through take him through this really really extreme act of saying you must sacrifice your son all right to see how he fared and he knew that he was going to he was going to 
pass in flying colors. I mean, Allah would never tell us to do something like that because, you know, I don't know if we would ever succeed in that kind of stuff. So when, mashallah, he tried to the best of his ability to sacrifice and he couldn't, Allah said, well, that wasn't our objective. It was just to purify you. So the whole perspective of the purpose of purification. Now, if somebody jumps on that idea and says the apparent meaning is not intended, that's why there's no such thing as qurbani today, right, of sacrificing a proper animal. Um, just purify your heart and that's enough. That would be obviously wrong. What we get from this and from the hadiths is that we must sacrifice an animal emulating what Ibrahim did. But in addition, there's a benefit, and which is also a benefit for us. That's why generally the udhiyya and the qurbani that we do nowadays is just sending some money abroad, which has become really not really the proper way it should be done. The proper way it should be done is that you buy an animal in advance, you look after it, you develop some love with it, just like Ibrahim with Ismail, you never develop that kind of love, but you know, you get some affection for it, you feed it the best, you know, badams and pistas and cashew nuts and that kind of stuff. I'm just joking. But you know, you feed it good stuff and then after that you sacrifice it on the day of Eid for the sake of Allah to show your love for Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. That's what it means. Okay, that's the first one. The second one is Lata'iful Isharat of Qushayri. Alright, that's another famous one. That is by another great, uh, mashallah, ascetic and righteous person of the past. You may have heard his name. Imam Abu Al-Qasim, Abdul Karim, Ibn Hawazin, Ibn Hawazim Al-Qushayri, uh, Zainul Islam, right? He was born a bit later in 372 Hijri. So good, you know, one and a half, two centuries later. And... He is uh, originally from an Arabic background. Uh, his qabila is the Qushayr uh, qabila, the, the tribe of Qushayr. And he was an allama. He was a, a major erudite scholar of his time. And, uh, but his focus became piety, righteousness, purification of the heart, the sawf in other words. And that's why he studied under the likes of Abu Ali al-Daqqaq, who's another famous you know, ascetic of the past. And Daqaq was the Imam of his time in asceticism and in love for Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and so on. And uh, so, yeah, he, he had studied, you know, both the esoteric sciences, the external sciences, the fiqh, the hadith and everything like that. And mashallah, he managed to bring it all together. And he had a number of karamat as well that have been related about him. There's lots of stories about him. He died in 465 Hijri. You can understand from this that Tafsir Ishari is generally done by uh, uh, scholars of spirituality, okay? And the difference between this one and the early one that we discussed, the, the um, uh, Qushayri's Tafsir as opposed to um, two studies, is two studies is only like one volume of different parts of the Quran, not the entire Quran, whereas Qushayri, you've got the entire Quran in there. And there's a number of other Tafsir, that's all the ones we're going to uh, we're going to look at today uh, in, in terms of that in, in, in the detail. And uh, so there's a, there's a, there's a few others um, that I found very useful. Uh, Ibn Ajiba, his Al-Bahru Al-Madid is an amazing tafsir. Now he does a tafsir of the entire Quran. Now it's not like they're only going to mention these esoteric points. They actually mention the apparent tafsir of the Quran first, then they mention these points. That's what a lot of them do. So Ibn Ajiba, uh, a North African scholar, uh, he discusses some of this stuff um, in, in his Al-Bahru Al-Madid. Now in English, the only thing that I know that's available, that I know that's available, is this one, right? And this again is one of those that have been published by, mashallah, the Royal Al-Bayt Institute for Islamic Thought, Prince Ghazi's, uh, you know, uh, again commissioned this work. 
And this one was done, not Islamic text, but this one is done through Fonz Vitae. Okay? So, mashallah, I mean, they've done a lot of good work. And this is by, it's called Kashful Asrar, the unveiling of the mysteries by Rashiduddin al Maybudi. Rashiduddin al Maybudi. So, this is another tafsir al Ishari. Okay? Um, now, the people who will be interested in this kind of stuff are people who have a spiritual inclination and who like kind of deeper thoughts about these kind of things in a more spiritual kind of sense, they will enjoy this. I would say another one that we have, which is not translated into English, which was written in Urdu and Arabic, is Bayanul Quran of Hakimul Ummat Malna Ashabadi Thanwi, Rahimahullah. That one is also, I would say, to some level, a tafsir al Ishari. He's got a lot of points in there that he derives from there. Uh, regarding the spiritual path, you know, from verses of the Quran. So I would say that's also a tafsir al-Ishari, a uh, very recent one. I mean, he only died about 60, about 60, 70, 80 years ago. Leaves us a short amount of time for a tafsir al-Fiqhi. Now, there's very few of these, right? A tafsir al-Fiqhi, there's not that many, which is, you can say, a juridical tafsir of the Quran. This is generally done by jurists and muftis. So I would say that Ma'arif al-Quran, you know, just for those of you who know the Ma'arif al-Quran of Mufti Shafi Uthmani, the father of Mufti Taqi Uthmani, that would be um, not entirely just the tafsir al-fiqhi. He adds a lot of other stuff to it. It's a general tafsir. It would be a rational tafsir. It would be a revealed, transmitted tafsir. It includes all of that. But there's a segment in there because he was a mufti to mention the masail the rulings. So any tafsir that mentions the rulings and focuses on that is generally called the tafsir al-fiqhi. Now, um, in fact, many tafsirs will include fiqh and masail, the halal and haram and the laws of, uh, you know, talaq and divorce, because when the verses are speaking about that, why wouldn't they speak about that? But what they do is they don't single themselves out as ahkamul quran as a tafsir just discussing exclusively that. There are some tafsirs that exclusively just discuss that. So there, that is a very specific category that they won't, gen, they won't talk about the general tafsirs as much. They'll more focus on that kind of tafsir. And there's others like Imam Qurtubi's, which I'm going to discuss today, which is one of my favorite tafsirs and one of my go-to tafsirs, is that it's a very extensive tafsir. It's a massive tafsir, like 30 volumes, again, 25, 30 volumes. He calls it Ahkamul Qur'an, the laws of the Qur'an. Almost saying that that is what it's about. But actually, he's got so much more than that. So he does the general tafsir. He does a bit of tafsir of all types of tafsir. And then he also mentions the ahkam as well. That's really what it is, right? The tafsir al-fiqhi is those tafsirs. And it's probably the most involved tafsir. The reason is that to extrapolate, to extract and derive uh, masail, rulings, from the Quran is not easy. Because uh, the Quran does not provide clear-cut rulings everywhere like it does for example in inheritance in inheritance got very clear-cut rulings but regarding salat for example nowhere in the quran does the salat tell does the does allah tell us how many rakats to do for asr prayer or how many to do for maghrib prayer or what to read in there like specifically it says yes recite whatever is facilitated for you whatever is easy for you to read from the quran so why do we make Surah Al-Fatiha wajib and so on? Well, we get that from the Hadith. Likewise, exactly, you know, Allah tells us who to give to zakat to, but um, how much zakat to give and a lot of the other details of fasting. And uh, okay, fasting, we know when to stop. Allah does tell us that. But there's a lot. So you have to extract a number of masail from there. And that 
is actually our first source. If you want to know anything and you want to understand the ruling of everything, the first source is the Quran. If it's not mentioned in the if it's not mentioned in the Quran, then we look at hadith. Or we look at hadith to corroborate it or to see more information. So you first look at the Quran. If you don't find the mas'ala, the ruling in the Quran, then you look at Sunnah, the hadith. And if you don't find it in there, then after that you look to see if the scholars have agreed, right, on a ruling about this and if not that then we try to look for a similar case and then we analogize on it that oh if for example we know that wine is haram because it intoxicates you that means heroin should also be haram because that also intoxicates you because heroin is not going to be mentioned in the Quran directly nor in the hadith nor there's an ijma on it you know from early days so you're going to analogize you're going to compare and say that's haram wine then this must be haram as well something like that so now the Sahaba obviously did this. The Sahaba did this kind of tafsir. So this is not something new again. Sahaba did this kind of tafsir. Uh, in fact, uh, Abdullah ibn Masood was well known for this kind of tafsir. Ali radiallahu anh, so many other Sahaba did this kind of tafsir. Okay? I'll give you an example. There's a verse in the Quran regarding divorce where Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, Surah Al Mutallaqatu Yatarabbasna bi anfusihin thalathata quru. The Mutallaqat, Surah Al Baqarah, um, those who have been divorced, they should wait in themselves for three quru. Three quru. That's the Arabic word. Quru is the plural of qarun. What does qarun mean? Now, in Arabic, the word qarun, quru'un, is actually a homonym. A homonym means those words. Do you guys know what a homonym is? A word which has two equal possible meanings. Not one main meaning and one subordinate meaning, but the two possible equal meanings. They're both equally valid, right? So, kuru means, can mean purity, and it could also mean menstruation, the cycle itself. It could mean both of those, the bleeding or the purity, equally. So, now we've got a difference of opinion from the time of the Sahaba. Umar ibn al-Khattab radiyallahu anhu, Ali radiyallahu anhu, ibn Mas'ud radiyallahu anhu, all said, we think this means menstruation. Which means that any woman who gets divorced, she has to wait in her iddat, the waiting period for three menstruations based on this verse, because it's saying quru means menstruation. So when the full three menstruations end, then she's out of the iddat, then she uh, is no longer uh, wife of her husband, right? And the husband can't take her back now, and so on. However, there was another group, Abdullah ibn Umar, Zayd ibn Thabit, and Aisha radiallahu said that no, this actually refers to tuhr. It refers to the purity. So you have to wait for three purity periods as opposed to three menstrual periods. So depending on which one you take, the menstruation will end earlier or later. And now the Hanafis, they take the view of the menstruation, just like Abdullah ibn Umar radiallahu did. Whereas the Shafis, they take the other view that it's actually purity. So that's it's happened from that time and it's come down to this time. The Tabi'een did that, the Imams, all the four Imams and all the jurists, they would they would do a they were looking at the juridical commentary of the Quran because it had to happen as our first source. There's no escape from it. Okay. Now I'll just mention to you two of the famous books written in this subject. There's quite a few, but they're not as many as like the other rational tafsirs and everything, but there's 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 a few. So the first one which I have to mention is probably one of the first published ones as well is the Ahkamul Quran. It's called Ahkamul Quran, the laws of the Quran by Abu Bakr al-Jassas al-Razi. That's the Imam al-Allama al-Mufti al-Mujtahid 
the Hafiz, the Alim of Iraq, like he was one of the biggest scholars of Iraq of his time, whose name was Abu Bakr Ahmad ibn Ali al-Razi. Razi means he's from Ray. Ray is like us today. Ray was a big city in those days, but today it's a suburb of Tehran in Iran today. So he's Persian, meaning living uh, in Persia. But he was well known as Jassas. Jassas uh, comes from the concept of Jass. His family seems to be involved in lime manufacturing. Lime manufacturing, not lime the fruit, but the lime, the, the stone, the lime, and the, using it for painting and other things. So that's why they, uh, you know, when you use it to um, whitewash something. So that's why he's called Jassas. He was born in 305 Hijri and he died in 370 Hijri. Okay, makes him about 65 years old, right? And he studied under some of the big scholars of his time like Abu Sahal al-Zajjaj and the great Abu al-Hassan al-Karhi from Baghdad, right? Karhi from Baghdad, he's one of the great Hanafi scholars, right? So um, he also stayed, uh, Imam Jassas was also in Baghdad after that and that's where he taught and that's where people used to come and visit him afterwards and study by him and basically he benefited mostly from his teacher Imam Karhi and he was on the same uh, manhaj and path as his teacher Imam Jassas is known to be an ascetic to be very scrupulous a really huge worshipper and devotee and he was given he was told that look become the Qadi right take the position of the judge and he refused to take it right he refused to take it and uh, mashallah he's got a lot of books on usul al-fiqh and other subjects as well and this book of his is quite amazing now the way he discusses uh, this book right uh, the way he discusses his tafsir is this is actually as i said it's one of the first tafsirs to be published that's why uh, you know people were really celebrating it because it was one of the first ahkam al-qurans to be published it seemed it goes really really deep uh, if you want to understand how jurists look at verses and extract rulings and their deep thought and like wow subhanallah then you should read some of his stuff because he really amazes you in terms of the depth of understanding okay what he's done is pretty much every verse of the quran that you can derive a ruling from he's done that right and uh, you know there's a certain number i've forgotten the number of uh, verses in the Quran that are related to ahkam. For example, aqimus salata wa atu zakat. That's related to ahkam. Yusikum Allahu fi awladikum li dhakari mithlu hazil unthayin, which is about inheritance. So that's about uh, that's uh, that, that's a fiki, you know, verse. Likewise, wal mutallaqatu yatarabbasn attalaqum arratan fa imsaqum bi maarufin aw tasrihum bi ihsan. All of that is relating to uh, to to a fiqh, uh, the the jurisprudence as well. So he covers all of those. Not only does he do that, but then he will expand and mention all the related rulings as well. So, for example, if you look at uh, Surah Al-An'am, where there's discussion about hunting, right? About hunting when you're, uh, you know, when you're in uh, in Hajj, laws of Hajj. All of this will be discussed in there. So he he goes and he discusses. Sometimes because he's a you know he he's defending the Hanafi school here as well. And at that time it seems like you know there was quite a bit of dispute going on. And so sometimes you see him getting a bit you know uh, a bit uh, uh, what do you call it animated in his discussion and uh, you know putting down um, other opinions and so on and so forth. Right. Um, and uh, I think if somebody wants to check some of this out, they can uh, check the verse, for example. Uh, I'm not going to go through it right now, but those of you who are scholars or who who have access to Arabic and they want to check this, and you can download these tafsirs online. Actually, you know the Arabic versions. 
they're, they're available in PDFs as well. For example, and the wa'atul yatama amwalahum regarding hatta idha balagun nikah fain anastu minhum rushdan fatfa'u ilayhim amwalahum speaking about the laws of when to give back to uh, the uh, when to give the wealth of the orphans that their parents have left to them that their fathers left to them you know what age do you give that money back to them so he argues all of that then there's the another very important part that you can check for his style fa in khiftum alla ta'dilu suratun nisa fa in khiftum alla ta'dilu fawahidatan aw ma malakat aymanukum dhalika adna alla ta'ulu this is talking about um, if you fear that you cannot be just then only have one wife and uh, then Allah Ta'ulu, what that refers to, the Shafi'is have a different opinion, so he, um, he, he discusses that in quite an animated way. But I'll let you check that up if you want to. The second one, and the last one we're going to discuss for today is, it's called Al-Jami' Li-Ahkam Al-Qur'an, right? So he gives it the name, the laws of the Qur'an, calls it the compendium, Al-Jami', the encyclopedia, the compendium of the Ahkam of the Qur'an. This is none other than the great Cordoban scholar from Cordoba in Spain, Cordoba, right? Abu Abdullah, Muhammad ibn Ahmed, ibn Abi Bakr, ibn Farh al Ansari. So he's originally Ansar, right? Though he's born in Spain, al Khazraji, al Andalusi, al Qurtubi. So while he was brought up in Cordoba, he then traveled to the east, and then after that, he stayed in Egypt, close to Asyut, close to Asyut, which I think is Lower Egypt, okay? And that's where he died finally in 600671. In 671. As I said, he's one of my favorite Mufassirs, uh, like uh, go to go to person. He was of the righteous servants of Allah, huge scholar, alim. He had to be. You see the amount of things he's quoted. His tafsir is comprehensive. So, not, I mean, why he calls it laws of the Quran, that it's, it's everything else as well. Right? So, it's not just about laws of the Quran. And. The way he, he was a very simple person, they said. He used to just go around in one thaw, one, one, one garment, right? With a topi, a, a taqiyah, right? A, a hat on his head. He was a very simple person, right? No pretenses or whatever. And mashallah, the book he's, and there's several books that he's produced. And uh, mashallah, he's produced a book on zuhud. He's produced a book on the akhirah. And he's produced a book on the names of Allah. And our coverage, the series that we've done on the names of Allah, which is on Zamzam Academy, I think, all right? or in Rayyan, actually it's on Rayyan Institute, Rayyan Courses, right? It's actually based on his book. It's an amazing book discussing all the names of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So he's a prolific scholar, I, and the beautiful thing about him is that his writing is very easy. He's not difficult to understand. He brings all of these different aspects, but his writing is very, very easy. The full name of his book is this, Al-Jami'u Li-Ahkam Al-Qur'ani Wal-Mubayyin Lima Tadammana Min Al-Sunnati Wa-Ayy Al-Furqan Right, so the compendium about the laws of the Quran and the one that reveals or that illuminates and makes clear that which um, is incorporated in it of the Sunnah and the verses uh, uh, and um, uh, that which is mentioned in the verses of the Furqan, which means the verses of the the Quran, the, the criterion. It's become well known as Tafsir al-Qurtubi. Everybody says Tafsir of Qurtubi, Tafsir of Qurtubi. It was originally, as I said, Andalusian from that area. 
Now, what he does is he'll mention the takhrij of the hadith. So he'll tell you where he's getting the hadith from. He talks about the, the language, the, the, the lingu- linguistics. He talks about uh, the, gram- the grammar. He mentions all the different qiraat. He mentions the nasikh and mansukh. He mentions the stories in detail. Like if you want the, the good stories of the past and everything, he discusses all of those in detail. And he does it in a very, very interesting way. Okay. What he does is that he'll mention a verse, like Suratul Fatih is huge. I think he's got, uh, what he does is he mentions a verse and then he says, in here are this many Masail. He calls them Masail, right? Because um, I guess he's using the Fikhi term Masail, right? This, this many issues. And then one by one, he'll subcategorize them and mention each one. So in Suratul Fatih, I think he has about 70 or 80. And some of them are very long discussions, right? So he's then say al masalatul ula, and then he will mention the discussion. Now he is very calm in his discussion, right? And he's very calm in his discussion. And while he's a Maliki, he's originally from a Maliki background, but he gives preference to other madhahib sometimes as well. For example, in the verse which comes in twice in the Quran, Fagsilu wujuhakum wa aidiyakum ilal marafiq. So Fagsilu wujuhakum, wash your face. So then he says. It is necessary for one... How, what does he mean by washing the face for wudu? What exactly does that mean? Now, if you're Hanafis, it's quite simple. If your face becomes wet with water, it's simple. It's done. The, the face becoming wet. Now, this is what he explains. He says, it is necessary for washing the face to transfer the water, right, from wherever, the tap or the bowl or whatever, to the face, and then to pass your hand over it as well. Right? Which means that the... He says, this is the reality of washing according to us, meaning the Malikis. And he says, we've mentioned that before in Surah An-Nisa. Okay. What does that mean? See, for the Maliki, our Maliki brothers and sisters, when they do wudu or ghusl, they can't just pass the water over their face. Like if they stand under a shower or they take a dip, right, and everything becomes wet, we would say as Hanafis that the, salat, the, the wudu is done, whether you like it or not. They say that it's important to actually pass your hand over as well. So when I'm washing my hands, I can't just put, uh, you know, if I was to get water everywhere and not rub my hands, that would be fine according to Hanabi, as long as you've got the water everywhere. But for them, you'd have to actually rub every single part as well. You have to rub the face, you have to rub the legs, and in ghusl, in bathing, you have to rub the whole body as well. So he says that's what it means. But he says then others, they say that it just means to pass water over it. And he says there's no need to rub the hands over. So then he gives an example that anybody who dips into water, like takes a little dip into the swimming pool or the lake or whatever, and his face and hands and everything become wet, and he does not rub them, then anybody would say that he's washed his face. So he says that that should be the case. That 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 is what people would say, and that should suffice. Just to give you an idea of how he covers these things, a lot of other examples, but anyway... I would say that for uh, many ulama, they will li- anybody with Arabic, they would love Tafsir al-Qurtubi. It's amazing. He's got such a balance, so easy, as opposed to some of the others we discussed. They have more, you know, maybe more modern ideas and later because they were later, but they're quite complex, whereas his is very, very easy. And it's a whole encyclopedia, and it discusses numerous different things. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala bless all of them because all that I'm saying to you today and what you hear from your scholars Essentially, if it wasn't for people like Qurtubi and all of these other scholars, rahimahumullah, then this knowledge would never have come down to us. 
they worked hard in their time to get it down to us so that's why we can actually benefit from it today as well may Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala also allow for people to arise from us who can then also act as a means to then take the knowledge to the later generations may Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala accept and uh, so tomorrow we're gonna inshallah finish the concepts of tafsir and we're gonna discuss the modern day tafsirs and what to be careful of and everything that's going to be very very informative inshallah and interesting because that's what we have access to today right especially in english and other languages tafsirs are in many many languages today okay so inshallah that's what we'll be discussing but jazakallah khair may allah subhanahu wa ta'ala accept this first 10 days of ramadan from us right now now that we've actually entered into the uh, or entering into the second 10 days may allah accept and make the 10 days even better than the first days and accept from us Jazakallah khair for listening. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala uh, bless you. And if you're finding this useful, you know, um, uh, as they say, do that like button and subscribe button and forward it on to others. Jazakallah khair and assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh.